I don't know quite what to make of it. About half the group walked out right before I was about to start my message. <laughs> I, I think what that means is God's blessed us with a lot of young people, which is a wonderful thing. Um, I'm, about to, I'm about to give you about the worst introduction that any sermon has ever had in the history of sermons. Uh, my message may be a little bit longer than usual today. So um, anyway, I will try to... I will try to keep you engaged as best as I can. So one day I was driving, and maybe you've had a day like this. I trust that you have. My phone was just ringing off the hook. Um, in the space of about five minutes, I got two calls. And both times, it was people who had prayer requests. And that made me start thinking. It occurred to me that there probably was nothing odd about this, that so many people consider prayer important. Have you ever thought about that? How many times when we come together do we share prayer requests? How many times have you heard the phrase, pray for me? A lot. And what I'm getting at is this. The human race is a praying race. You ever thought about that? According to a poll by the Pew Research Center, uh, which is a major polling agency in the United States, 55% of Americans said they pray every day. 55%. And another Pew survey found that 76% of Americans agreed with the statement, prayer is an important part of my daily life. Now, I was not a math major, but I'm pretty sure that 76% is more than three-fourths. That's a lot of folks. And, and, and obviously, uh, while these are surveys of Americans, this is not an American phenomenon. It's a human phenomenon. It is almost like prayer is hardwired into the human DNA. Human beings know intuitively that there are things that we need to talk to God about. He's put it in our hearts. We know this. We realize that we are not orphans in the universe, that we have a connection with someone, capital S, with someone much greater and stronger than we are. God created us with an awareness of our need for him and our need for his help and our need for his power, so we pray. With this in mind, I want to consider today what Jesus teaches about prayer. Uh, as people who pray, don't you think we can benefit from looking at what Jesus taught about prayer instead of just sort of launching into prayer without purpose, rhyme, or reason? Let's consider what our Lord taught us about how to talk to our Father. So today, let's look at Jesus' teaching on prayer. We're going to be in Luke 11, and I hasten to add this. I think this is truly important. As Jesus is teaching us how to pray, he's also teaching us a lot about how we should live. As Jesus is teaching us how to pray, this has at least two functions. Jesus is also teaching us a lot about how we need to live. Luke 11, and I'll begin reading in verse 1. Luke 11, 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. 
Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Now, if that sounded odd to you, it's probably because we're more familiar with Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer, which is recorded in the Sermon on the Mount. Luke's version is abbreviated while uh, Matthew's version is expanded. In examining this prayer that Jesus gave for his disciples, first, let's consider to whom we are praying. Jesus said, when you pray, say, Father. That's how he begins his instructions on prayer. In another passage, Jesus criticized those who pray by pouring out a flood of empty speech, flowery words like the heathen, who think that God will hear them for the sheer volume of their words. Instead, Jesus teaches us a simple and intimate way of praying that begins by seeing God as our Father and ourselves as his children and addressing him on that basis. Father. It's a family word, right? It's a precious word. It's a word that speaks to personal relationship and family connection. Father. I read that in the Gospels, Jesus refers to God as his father more than 60 times. Can that possibly be an accident? That's a lot. Uh, this was a reality. God as father, that was truly important to Jesus. And Jesus teaches us that God is our Father, too. And part of what that means for us is that we are not orphans in the universe. The first word of Jesus' prayer is incredibly important. When you pray, say, Father. A family word, a relational word, a warm and personal term that speaks of the intimacy of our relationship with God, our Heavenly Father. I have to offer a disclaimer, however. Some people have very negative associations with the word father because their earthly fathers were harsh, cruel, mean, abusive. And so my disclaimer is that for people in this situation when praying, it may, it, it may be best to address God as Lord or God just because father carries such such bad associations. So uh, now I want to consider the different things Jesus teaches us about talking to our Father. Um, I feel obligated, however, to give you this information. I wrote this sermon, as I always do, with the biblical text in mind, but this five-part outline that I'm using was developed from this, this text by a well-known African-American preacher, uh, Dr. Tony Evans. You may have heard his uh, radio show. It used to be called The Urban Alternative. Now it's simply called The Alternative, but you, pro you may have heard him on Christian radio as I have. Okay, so first, when you pray, exalt his person. Jesus said, Father, hallowed be your name. Hallowed. It's not a word we use often in the 21st century, is it? Unless we're speaking of a holy place as hallowed ground, or if we're studying or quoting the Lord's Prayer. But except for those instances, hallowed isn't a word that we use much in everyday conversation, is it? Um, when Jesus says, Father, hallowed be your name, in other words, he's saying, Father, may your name be exalted. May your name be held up as great. May people respect you and see you as awesome as you truly are. May you be honored. May you be held in awe. May you be treated with the utmost respect. Hallowed uh, be your name. Exalt his person. Honor his person. Obviously, this doesn't always happen today. 
And that's an understatement. It has become such a common occurrence to hear God's name taken in vain that we may hardly even notice it anymore. It may hardly register on the radar for us. Even though God has allowed us to be his children and he calls us his friends as well, God's name is to be used respectfully, right? Even with reverence. Has anyone ever heard this one? Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Does that ring a bell? That's from the Ten Commandments, God's greatest hits in the Old Testament. And these days we hear OMG and oh my God so much. OMG, that ice cream was so good. OMG, that roller coaster park was so fun. Not a respectful use of God's name. And we often hear things much worse than that, curses invoking God's name. We hear God's name being invoked as part of a curse word. God's last name is not a cuss word. I, I'm seeing agreement on that. God's last name is not a cuss word. Now, obviously, when Jesus says, Father, hallowed be your name, he means even more than that God's name shouldn't be taken in vain. It's not just his name, but the person behind the name. Uh, that is to, he is to be honored, respected, revered, and held in awe. God's name represents his person. We want God to be honored and respected. In Romans 3, Paul is describing a world in rebellion against God, and one of the things he says about the people is this, there is no fear of God before their eyes. And he's quoting the Old Testament. There's a lot that's right in God's world, but one thing is, that is wrong is too many people don't fear God, and so subsequently they do whatever they feel like doing. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And obviously, honoring God and his name begins with us. It begins with me. If we want God to be honored and respected, we begin by showing God respect in how that we live our lives, by honoring him, by following him and his ways uh, in our everyday lives. If we, want to, if we want God to be honored, then we live lives dedicated to his honor and glory. Surely somebody agrees with that. If we want God to be honored, then we live lives dedicated to his honor and glory. So first, honor his person. Hallowed be your name. Secondly, embrace his program. Jesus said, your kingdom come. What is a kingdom? If we're, if we're going to say your kingdom come, I think it's important that we think about what a kingdom actually is. A kingdom is a territory over which a sovereign rules or a king reigns. It's the king's territory, the king's kingdom. And the longer version of the uh, Lord's Prayer in Matthew is instructive. It gives us some good information here. Um, your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And those are basically two ways of saying the same thing. To put, it, to put it in other words, God, may you rule and reign. Father, may your will be done. May your ways be followed. May you rule and reign on earth as you rule and reign in heaven. May we obey what you want done here on this earth. And obviously God's kingdom isn't something that you can see on a map. Antarctica on the map is white and uh, Ireland is green because it's the Emerald Isle and God's kingdom is purple, so that represents royalty. Doesn't work that way, does it? God's kingdom isn't a dedicated place on maps and globes. God reigns in the hearts and lives of men and women and young people. That's how God reigns. 
So if we pray, your kingdom come, we're saying basically, God, may your rule increase. May you reign in people's hearts and lives. And again, the implication in the subtext is this, God, start with me. If we say your kingdom come, then we need to also uh, say in our hearts, God, start with me, rule in my heart, reign over my life. May I follow your ways. And if there's some, if there's some parts of my life where I'm not following your ways, Lord, change me. I need to change. Lord, do whatever you want to do with my life. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Lord, I'm going to be a living sacrifice. I put myself on the altar. I put my life in your hands. Your kingdom come. Embrace his program. Third, seek his provision. Seek his provision. Jesus said, give us today our daily bread. You know, it's become so easy for us to feel a sense of independence in our lives. Our needs are taken care of by paychecks or retirement uh, income. We work, we get money, and with that money, we buy the stuff that we need. The math seems so simple, so straightforward, that we begin to take it for granted. We're so self-sufficient, we feel independent, except that we really, really aren't. Who gave you your talents? your abilities? Who gave you the brain power that you need to do your job? Did you uh, make your own cerebrum? Did you create your own cerebellum, your prefrontal cortex? Did you create the earth on which we are living, the air that you are breathing, this, this breath that you are breathing at this very moment? Everybody knows the answer to these questions. Isn't it true that at any moment any of us could have a stroke or an aneurysm and we could be left unable to do any complex thinking or tasks? The gifts that you have and the things that you're able to do, you are able to do by the grace of God. The breath you're drawing at this very moment, you are breathing by the grace of God. In one of Paul's great sermons in Acts, he's in Athens, he's quoting the Greek poet Aratus when he says this about God. In him we live and move and have our being. One translation renders it this way. He gives us the power to live, to move, and to be who we are. Isn't that a powerful statement? We're dependent on God for our very existence and our sustenance and our continued existence. He made us and he sustains us. We live and move and have our existence in him by his provision and by his grace. And it is good, it is right to acknowledge our dependence on him. It's good to acknowledge that we need his care. Give us today our daily bread, Jesus said. Our daily bread doesn't come ultimately from Kroger or Houchins. And for us to acknowledge our need for his provision, our dependence on him, it's the most honest way to live. It is living in line with reality. And don't we need to live honestly and gratefully? And Jesus models this for us, not just in this prayer, but in his life. Repeatedly in the Gospels, we see Jesus simply giving thanks to his father for the food he was about to eat. Acknowledging God's gift. And he continually acknowledged in his life his dependence on his father. About 1,600 years ago, the church leader Augustine uh, wisely explained that sin is believing the lie that we are self-created, self-dependent, and self-sustained. 
Sin is believing the lie that we are self-created, self-dependent, and self-sustained. In my opinion, if you've never heard that quote before or wasn't aware of it, it was worth coming today just for that. It's that significant. We are, we are not self-created. We are not self-dependent. We are not self-sustained. When we continually acknowledge our dependence on God, our need for his provision, we are living honestly and truthfully uh, in, in line with reality. We're not in denial. We're not believing this ultimate lie that sin is. And this is perhaps the lie most often believed in modern society, that we can be ultimately self-dependent. After all, we're so technologically advanced and technologically savvy. Ours is a generation of medical discoveries, scientific advances, expanded communication possibilities. We can store and access data so efficiently and so fast that we begin to get this... Uh, we begin to think too highly of ourselves and get an overblown idea of our own power. You know, our base of knowledge is, uh, is multiplying exponentially, and compared with previous generations, we have such wealth and so many possessions and possibilities. Every decade, our houses get larger and larger. We have all we need and then some. We can provide for ourselves, we think. We have access to so much more than previous generations had, and it is so easy to believe the lie of our independence, and yet so foolish. But sometimes this lie gets exploded by real life, like when we get sick, or we lose a job, or we have an emotional or psychological illness, or someone in, uh, some important relationship collapses, or when we lose a loved one, or when we face a global pandemic. Then we are reminded of our desperate need for God. We realize we don't have all the answers at times like this. We can't provide uh, all the solutions to life's ultimate problems and dilemmas. Sometimes life hits us over the head and makes us aware of our limitations. Give us today our daily bread. Our Lord taught us this. We are completely dependent on God, so we need to seek his provision. Fourth, Request his pardon. Jesus said, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Whatever happened to the word sin and repentance? They're no longer part of our national and cultural vocabulary. Whatever happened to confession of sins? Maybe we're too sophisticated to need to confess our sins. Maybe we're too sophisticated to repent before God. You know, there are even some churches in which the word sin and repentance aren't part of the vocabulary. Maybe it's because repentance doesn't sell well. Maybe it's a bad marketing strategy. Sin and repentance have such negative connotations. They're so serious. Maybe people don't like to think of themselves as sinners. Maybe we don't like to think of ourselves as sinners. It's all such a messy business. But the Bible says God has commanded all people everywhere to repent. That's pretty broad and sweeping, isn't it? I think that might even include you and me. All people everywhere. That includes everybody. God has commanded people to repent, to acknowledge our sins, and to acknowledge that his ways are right, and when we depart from his ways, that we're in the wrong, and that we need, to, we need forgiveness from him. And we need to get on board with his ways as best we can. God commanded us to seek forgiveness and repent before him. And it's not optional. 
A life of repentance is the best way to live and the right way to live. Again, the most honest way to live. To pretend that we don't need forgiveness and that we don't need deep repentance is fundamentally dishonest. It's one of life's great lies. It's fundamentally out of sync and out of kilter. It's like sand in the gears of life because it's living in denial of reality. To refuse to repent is to deny one of life's basic truths. We are fundamentally sinners standing in need of forgiveness before a perfect and holy God. Very much of the modern world doesn't want to admit this most basic and essential truth. Adam and Eve went astray. And we can't laugh too hard at Adam and Eve because we followed the same foolish way. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's what God's word says. And so Jesus teaches us when we pray to pray this way, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. We're sinners and he's the great forgiver, the gracious God. That's what he does. Forgive us our sins, ask for his pardon. Fifth and finally, when we pray, we should ask for his protection. Lead us not into temptation. If not for God's gracious provision, we would all be toast. The Bible, represent, the Bible repeatedly pictures us as sheep going astray, stupidly wandering into danger. Doop, 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 doop. This clump of grass looks really good over here. That clump of grass looks re really good over there. There's a cliff. Oh, it's no problem. Oh, there's a coyote. Do you think he's friendly? What the Bible says is true. We are prone to wandering as human beings, aren't we? We are prone to going astray. Don't deny it. Um, I could tell you some stories. I've been preaching for over 30 years. I, I, I've seen a lot, and some of you have as well, the messes that we get ourselves into. And I think there are people here who could tell stories, some of them first-person stories. Some of them folks we know, but, but life can get pretty messy. That's real. Things can get pretty messed up. We can very easily fall into the devil's snares. We stumble into the devil's traps. Some of his flaming arrows find their marks. And the Bible says that we have a flesh, a sinful nature, that makes us prone to sin and straying. We can be very foolish. That's why we need a Savior. In Isaiah 53, the great suffering servant passage that predicts Jesus' atoning work, centuries before he actually arrived on the scene, Isaiah writes this, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And God has laid on him, talking about Jesus, the, the iniquity, the sin of us all. We all like sheep have gone astray. We can be so foolish. You know, we tell ourselves things like this, just this once not realizing that sin is a trap. Just this once, I'll do it. I won't get caught. Nobody will ever know. I deserve to have a little fun in life. I'm tired of being good all the time. It's okay to have a little fun in life. We are prone to self-deception, and we can make such a mess of things. We need God's protective power over our lives. So Jesus says, lead us not into temptation. And yes, of course, we need to cooperate with God in this. When you flee from temptation, don't leave a forwarding address. When the devil knocks on your door, don't answer. Uh, we, we need to cooperate with God, but we also need his help and his protection. How many of you have prayed for God's protection for your children and grandchildren? We, we, realize, uh, we realize that 
Our children need to be protected by God. We realize grandchildren need to be protected by God. We also need to realize that we need this shield of protection for ourselves as well. You know, it's not just the children and the grandchildren who are prone to straying. Lead us not into temptation. So as we close, I just want to review briefly what Jesus modeled for us in his prayer. First, when you pray, exalt God's person. Secondly, embrace his program. Third, seek his provision. Fourth, request his pardon. And fifth, when we pray, we need to ask for his protection. In Jesus' simple prayer, he teaches us to honor God and to completely depend on him for everything. And in this simple prayer, Jesus not only teaches us how to pray, he teaches us how to live. Let's bow together. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. In the blessed name of our Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand up and encourage each other. If you want to make a public response to God, if you want to come to him for forgiveness today, if you want to put your trust in him, repent of your sins and uh, be united with Christ in baptism, uh, whatever need on your heart is today, you can come to the front. Let's, let's sing and encourage each other.